Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for intel, forecasts, and success strategies. This week, we have the privilege to hear Michael Bull's interviews at the Realtors Land Institute's National Conference in Nashville, Tennessee. There's some great information here regarding appraisals, environmentals, rising interest rates, and much more. Enjoy. Hello, Michael Bull here with America's Commercial Real Estate Show. We're in Nashville at the RLI 2018 event in Nashville. And I tell you, it's been a great event. And Dr. Mark Dortzer, he has been an economist, and he spoke to the group, and the group was really wild. He's a real estate economist with the Real Estate Research Center at Texas A&M University. And I tell you, it, it seems like what's on the mind of everyone is how long are these good times going to last and you know, this cycle's been seems like a, a little long in the tooth you know what do you expect moving forward for the economy in real estate well you know the theme of my presentation today was clear sailing ahead uh, the economy looks really strong as an economist I'm also always hesitant to get too optimistic uh, but all the data appears to show that uh, 2018 and into 2019 looks really good. All, all the data seems to confirm that we're in, we're in a good situation right now. Uh, creating jobs uh, any, every month, somewhere between 80 to 300,000 Americans are getting a job. And when Americans get a job, they're also getting pay raises, they're getting bonuses. Um, so they're able to spend money, and that's what our American economy does, is when we spend money, we grow. Yeah, that's right. Consumers have proven they'll spend money if they get it, right? Absolutely. <laughs> now, what about some of the, the tax acts, some of the deregulations, a lot of things that have kind of gone on uh, since November. Has that kind of adjusted the economy and, and kind of your forecast? Absolutely. The Tax Reform Act uh, changed all the rules. Um, actually, the election changed all the rules because business enthusiasm just skyrocketed after the election. Uh, whether you're in a blue state or a red state, the business community was on fire with enthusiasm over the election results. Uh, tax reform is just icing on the cake. The question is whether or not we really needed tax reform, tax cuts, when you're already at the top of an economic cycle. Traditionally, what happens is you have a tax cut at the bottom of a cycle when everybody's out of work. Uh, you never have a tax cut at the top of a cycle when unemployment is at record low levels. And so that's what creates the possibility of a threat to my clear sailing hypothesis, and that is that interest rates could go up faster than we would like because inflation could pick up. Yeah, and as part of inflation, potentially from um, income increases, I mean, if there's a lot more jobs created by all this enthusiasm and we already have a great job market, may we see wages finally go up? Wages are going up and they're going to go up further. Um, there's six million jobs open in the U.S. right now, and it seems like every day some big companies announcing they're going to hire another 2,000 people. So the question becomes, who's going to do all this work? And if we pass an infrastructure bill for roads and bridges, again, the question arises, who will build these bridges and roads? Um, we need a lot of immigration in this country to do those jobs and uh, it doesn't seem like that's going to happen. So we've got a shortage of truck drivers, we've got a shortage of trucks, we've got a shortage of skilled labor in a lot of areas. So when that happens, wages tend to go up faster than normal. Yeah, it should be interesting to see what happens moving forward. And then we recently have the tariffs right, on steel and aluminum. Is that good for the U.S. economy long term or what do you think there? 
It depends on if you like having jobs in America or not. <laughs> if you yeah. really like cheap TVs, you hate jobs coming back to America. <laughs> okay. it, your TV's going to be a lot cheaper if it's made in China or Japan or somewhere And TVs else. have gotten cheap. TVs are pretty cheap, absolutely. Yeah. So when you start making washing machines in America, they might cost another $75 or so. Mm -hmm. And that's the decision we're going to have to make. Do we, do we mind paying 75 bucks more for a washing machine that's made in Milwaukee, or do we want to get that $75 cheaper one made in China or Singapore or somewhere? Well, we want both, of course, you know. <laughs> right, and I have a, I'm, my fear is that for the last 35 years, the American people have voted with their pocketbook and their votes to say, we could care less about jobs in America. We want that cheap car and that cheap TV. Yeah, so does that mean that some of these companies, the repatriation, the, this build it in America, is it really going to happen if we still want to buy our stuff really cheap? It feels like it is happening. It's kind of interesting. I, uh, China has announced they're going to start manufacturing stuff in America. This is what happens when you try to get fair trade going on. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants a trade war. But it would be really nice if we had some kind of fairness issue where we get some jobs and wealth instead of China getting all the jobs and wealth. That just seems like a good deal to me. Yeah, I like the idea of that. And what about interest rates? You mentioned this, the challenge could be inflation and it could be that interest rates rise further. Maybe the Fed says, hey, we've, we've got to get it, rise rates, market's good. And I yeah. guess that's a good signal. Where, where is the increase, where do you expect them to be and where is there potentially a problem? The real problem is not how much the Fed raises interest rates. The real problem in, in the interest rate environment is not the Fed. It has to do with whether our Congress suddenly decides that they don't mind spending trillions of dollars that they don't have. Our federal debt is already over 20 trillion. It's probably around 22 now. The tax bill they just passed added another trillion and a half. Whatever mischief they did a few weeks ago to keep the government open for a month or two cost another $300 billion. If they get in the habit of every time they open their mouths, the federal debt goes up by a half a trillion dollars, then interest rates on mortgages and stuff will go up without any control by the Federal Reserve whatsoever. And is that really the biggest threat to the U.S.? economy overall long term is just that, that mounting debt? The mounting the debt is not a bit that big a deal to me yet. I know a lot of people in America are very concerned about 20 trillion, mm -hmm. but a uh, long story, but I'm not. Uh, we, we can easily handle 20 trillion. If it gets up to 40 trillion, I might get worried about it from the standpoint that our dollar is going to be worth nothing and all of that sort of thinking. But right now, that's not that big of a deal. But what will happen is if the world, world investment community loses confidence in Congress and the president, then our interest rates will go up. And when they do go up, they can go up kind of faster than you might think. And that would impact mortgage rates and uh, interest rates on borrowing for all kinds of stuff. And if you looked in your crystal ball and you looked at a year from now, here we're late in the first quarter, yeah. what would you guess for rates a year from now? Well, mortgage rates might go up a little bit. I, I, I think mortgage rates could go up another half a percent, maybe, unless the infrastructure bill is passed and it adds another trillion and a half or two trillion to debt, then all bets are off at that point. Because if Congress decides to do bridges and stuff and not pay for it with user fees or taxes of some kind, the bond community could lose interest in American treasuries and that's when rates start going up. 
Yes, and but what you started the theme of your uh, presentation was things look good, right? Absolutely. I, I think unless Congress makes a big mistake, uh, everything looks good. The problem is, is that Congress seems to do nothing but make big mistakes. Yeah, yeah that's true. Well, Mark, thanks for joining us today. Enjoyed it. Thank you. Video is powerful. Some of the biggest brands in commercial real estate have trusted us to tell their story. We are Barnes Creative Studios, premier commercial real estate video services. BarnesCreativeStudios.com. Are you a commercial real estate broker? Check out Apto, the leading web-based CRE software for managing contacts, properties, listings, and deals. Act on the information in your CRM to strengthen your relationships and grow your business. Visit apto.com slash CRE show. Hello, Michael Bull here with America's Commercial Real Estate. We're at the 2018 Realtors Land Institute Annual Conference in Nashville. We have Jim Moret here. Jim is the 2018 president of the Appraisal Institute. And uh, Jim, you just came from a speech where you talked to the attendees here about environmental concerns and appraisals. And I think there's a, that's a concern for everyone. What was the most major point that came out of it that you think realtors and people in general should be aware of? Well, first of all, thank you, Michael, for having me here. It's, a, it's an honor to represent the Appraisal Institute uh, at this function. But uh, yes, you're right. I mean, one of the biggest things is, is that appraisers have to work together with realtors and with uh, sellers of property to understand are there environmental concerns uh, in a particular property. And the main point that I was making today was what is the role of the appraiser in, this, in, the, in the transaction, in the assignment? Yeah, and I think that's interesting because it seems like when I read appraisals, it's kind of just blocked out. Eh, there's no environmental concerns here, or there, there might be some concerns, but we're not including it in this appraisal. But there's a bit more responsibility of the appraiser to look into it, right? Well, the appraiser has to be aware of the fact is, is, is there a potential environmental concern? Mm -hmm. It's not the appraiser's expertise to fully understand what the actual impact is of that uh, impairment. But the fact is, if they see black bubbly stuff oozing out of the ground, uh, they have to be astute enough and competent enough to contact the client to say, hey, I think we have an issue here. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is is that uh, an appraiser really has to understand what is the prior uses of the property. Mm -hmm. Is that conducive to uh, a use that could have some environmental contamination, such as a, a, a dry cleaner, a, a former gas station, even a nail salon to, mm -hmm. that, to that degree? Yeah, and there's some places that you can look up some basic things, right, to see if it's a contaminated site. Uh, itself or nearby, right? Well, certainly there are uh, Superfund sites that are published through uh, many different uh, public websites. Uh, then, of course, you can work with the, the local assessor to look at what the prior uses of the property were. Mm -hmm. So there are public records, absolutely. Uh, it is not appropriate for an appraiser just simply to wash their hands and say, I don't know. Right. Uh, there, is a, uh, there is a minimal amount of due diligence that an appraiser should do and must do 
to, to be able to tell uh, if there's any potential environmental issues, especially when we're talking rural appraisals, which is what this conference is, farmland. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, what, is, what did the farmer use? Is it crops where they used a lot of fertilizers? Was it just simply cattle or, or that type of a thing where they, they had just feed? So. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because we saw a lot of land in town and in town areas, and we rarely think of things like that. We're thinking of yeah. petroleum products, right, and groundwater contamination and things. But, uh, well, let me ask you this on commercial appraisals. You know, what has changed most recently regarding commercial appraisals? Well, there's, there's two things that I probably want to mention is, is one now there is a, the, the, the federal de minimis level is, is being contemplated to being raised. And this is for federally related transactions through the banking world where uh, the federal de minimis level is, on real estate loans is contemplated being increased from 250000 to 400000 and there's a, a, a rumor, so to speak, that it will go to 500000 So what this means is, is for the transactions below that amount, uh, a, a licensed and certified appraiser is not needed to, and an appraisal is not needed. Now an evaluation has to be ordered, but that is something that can be done by a non-appraiser. Uh, the other thing in the commercial real estate world is, the, is, is the, the, the market sustainable for what's going on out there? Cap rates come beginning at all-time lows, uh, foreign money coming into the United States. Um, certainly our president is, is an economist. He's, he's looking to invigorate the marketplace, and it's working to a certain degree. Uh, and the fact is, how is that going to, from a long-term sustainability standpoint, being able to, uh, to hold up? And let's go back for a moment on the minimum, um, I guess, purchase price or loans that the banks are doing. So they may be able to now, any loan under 400000 not order an appraisal and just an evaluation. What would, what's the definition of that evaluation? Well, an evaluation is a banking term, and there's about seven or eight criteria that must be in uh, an evaluation, but uh, they are very minimal in terms of a scope of work. Um, and it's just a, a matter of show your work and be, be competent to, to do it. Um, it would be ideal to, for an appraiser to do evaluations, but there are some states that do not allow appraisers to do evaluations because they feel that they are less than what the uniform standards of professional appraisal practice allow. The Appraisal Foundation feels that uh, appraisers can do evaluations, and I generally agree with them, but I also disagree because USPAP still requires you to do a few more things than the evaluation calls for. Uh, we are hopefully working with the Appraisal Foundation to make some changes and alterations to USPAP to allow appraisers to do evaluations, because I think the marketplace and public trust is better served if a knowledgeable appraiser is doing these lesser scope or work assignments than someone who's not even licensed, who has no, they have no, uh, they're not beholden to anyone in terms of their ethics or their standards. So who can do the evaluations? Non-appraisers. Uh, could, be, could be a broker, could be anyone off the street. It's just, <laughs> off the street. Seriously, I mean, uh, uh, so there, there are no limitations as to who can do it, other than there is a, there is a caveat in the evaluation that says the person must be competent in that type of work. So okay. there is a little bit there, but there's, it isn't like there's a, a sector of the market that, uh, that is geared toward the evaluation. Okay, excellent. And then let's now go back to what you mentioned about 
future values and future cap rates and things because you know we all know when we see appraisal it's as of this date here's the value because things can change almost overnight at times so so there's a responsibility for an appraiser as well to kind of look forward a little bit of what might happen down the road with cap rates and interest rates economy well certainly in commercial real estate the theory of anticipation is the is the lifeblood of, of commercial real estate. People don't buy necessarily what happened today and in the past. They certainly take that into consideration, but many times commercial real estate is the present value of future benefits. So they're gonna look, they're gonna forecast forward what they think they can do with the property, present value back to today. So that's a matter of, in a way, guesstimating, forecasting, what's gonna happen in the next two years, three years, five years. Depending on the property type, that might be rather easy if there's leases in place. But if it's an owner-occupied property or a to-be-constructed property, feasibility uh, comes into play, risk comes into play. Yeah, so were all the appraisers then around the country when President Trump was elected to say, oh no, now we're gonna know what's going on. <laughs> Uh, more so than not, I, I think so, yeah. but I think a lot of investors were also very, very pleased, yeah. and especially with tax law changes. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot more money available now for, for investing than there was uh, two years ago. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that, if you will. You know, what are your thoughts moving forward? So if you, you mentioned that cap rates are a little low, maybe some of the markets are fairly frothy. Uh, I, I assume you expect interest rates to rise. You know, what do you expect for rate increases for commercial mortgages for properties? And, and a guess as you're doing these assumptions and in, and in corresponding cap rates. Well, being a conservative banker over the years prior to joining Collier's valuation, um, I, I certainly took the, the, the conservative route and said, yes, it's common, it's, it's probable that interest rates will slightly rise. Uh, any, any increase in interest rates are going to slow down uh, a, a depression of cap rates. Uh, to what degree? It depends on the property type. It depends on supply and demand. However, uh, I think it's pretty safe to say that anything from a 50 to a 75 basis point increase in rates is not out of the realm of a probability. In what time period? A year? Or? Well, I mean, I think people were talking about this a year and a half ago. Yeah. So I, I think, uh, I think 2018 is pretty safe. Uh, a lot of it has to do with the new Fed chair, but uh, uh, I believe that it'll, it'll be into 2019, but I'm not an economist. Yeah, I, I'm, yeah. yeah. No, none of us are, but you mentioned that you know, appraisers have to kind of look at the future yeah. and the economy and the market and, and what might happen to a property and its value. So we do all have to look forward. So maybe that's why so many appraisers are listening to the commercial real estate show. They, they do right. re reach out to us. Well, I think it's important to recognize that appraisers read the market. We don't create the market. Yeah. But the way we read the market is to get involved, talk to the brokers, talk to the participants in the marketplace, mm -hmm. try and get into the mind of the investor. Why did you pay that amount for that property? And the investor says, well, because I think that the stock market's going to increase. I think that tax laws are going to change. And that's the appraisers reading the market. That's where an appraiser value adds themselves when they can be entrenched into an actual transaction and understand it versus just seeing that there's a number on a piece of paper and that that correlates to X amount of dollars per square foot. You know, that sounds so smart for a commercial appraiser to interview the purchaser to see what he's thinking or what he might be doing with the property and his expectations, but that seems a little bit more than I would think typically happens. You know, it seems like there's maybe a little distance between the purchaser and the appraiser. 
Well, uh, many times an appraiser, not many times, an appraiser has to verify a, a sales transaction. And it's through a knowledgeable party. Maybe it's through the realtor. So maybe you don't be able to get to the purchaser, but you can get to their broker who understands what they were thinking. Uh, because the broker generally understands what the appraiser is going through. Mm -hmm. In a perfect world, you are going to be interviewing the, the seller or the, the purchaser. Mm -hmm. But in reality, that's too good on textbooks. It doesn't happen all the time in reality. Yeah. And you just got to keep pushing. Uh, you're told no nine times, but that tenth time you're told yes, and you get this—you get the story. That's fantastic. But that's why you go to the Chamber of Commerce breakfasts, and you get to know these people. And you go to different sessions where people are talking, investors are talking about what they're thinking. Maybe you don't have a one-on-one -on -one with you, but they have a, a, a group session as to what an investment group might be thinking. Yeah, well, that's good information. Jim, thanks for being with us, and thanks for being at the uh, Institute Conference here. Again, Michael, thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. With ArborCrowd, you get to invest alongside real estate experts, sponsors who have a successful track record and skin in the game. It's as easy as one, two, three. Learn about the deals, make your investment, and grow your financial wealth. Visit arborcrowd.com. Are you a real estate agent? Hi, this is Michael Bull. Would you like consistent high income? Would you like to be the top producer in your office? Would you like to be known as the go-to broker in your market? Well, I have something for you. Visit commercialagentsuccess.com. Are you looking to buy, sell, or lease commercial real estate? You're invited to contact Bull Realty for customized asset and occupancy solutions. Call 404-876-1640 or visit bullrealty.com. Hello, Michael Bull here with America's Commercial Real Estate Show. We're at Realtors Land Institute National Conference in Nashville. We have Emily Line here with us with Realtors Property Resources. She's VP of Commercial Services. And it's this is part of NER, and it's a great service that that I want to know a little bit more about, Emily. I, I know about it, actually, but I want you to share <laughs> our audience a little bit. And to start us out, you know, Obviously, commercial real estate, we pay a lot of attention to demographics, right? How many people? What do they earn? Who are they? But if you can go a little deeper with RPR, right? Absolutely. So I am the resident data geek. Uh, I love people patterns. And we're in a space right now that things are changing. And every hour, 491 people are turning 60. And to, by 2030, you're going to have roughly 75% of the workforce millennials. What the heck do you have to do? And these businesses are studying it like crazy, and you need to go deeper. And you need to have the ability to not just look at the demographics, like if they're educated, if they are um, you know, male or female, if they have a certain income. You need to understand more about their behaviors, their lifestyle habits. There's, the psychographics are hard to quantify, but we're spending a lot of time so that you can, uh, as a practitioner, can take it to the next level and understand even more what makes people tick, what they do, how they behave, and how that benefits business. Right, and as a realtor, you have App, you have access to RPR resources, right? And it's your same access code to your regular realtor uh, website information? 
NARRPR.com and same login password, you get it as a benefit and it's incorporated in your realtor dues. And the coolest part about it is we don't build without realtor feedback. And so everything we do is based on you or Ernie or some of the folks in, in, in your office telling us, hey, could you do this? Could you take this, this analysis to the next level? So it is absolutely a realtor benefit. Right, and if you're not a realtor, you're a client, think about your realtor has this access. And tell us a little bit more about psychographics and how uh, we can help a client particularly with that. Well, sure. So the coolest piece is, and I'll tell you about clients, but I'm going to tell you about EDCs too. Economic Development Councils are eating this information up. And so in, in advance, the clients coming in, sit with the EDCs with this information. As a realtor, that data is so rich and bold for, for uh, advancing what markets have the ability to be outside of what they are. And in turn, it's going to bring your clients in and it's going to give you new opportunities. And so for your existing clients, they may know X, Y, and Z, what, what they want, whether they're advancing an office or they are looking for uh, their next retail location. You can go a step further and dive way deeper into behaviors, patterns, all those types of things, daytime stats versus nighttime stats, all about what people do and what the, how they behave, that much more to keep the business coming in. Yeah, and that's valuable information. It's also interesting, so you can use it to kind of get out in front of the press and, and maybe a blog and that sort of thing, right? Absolutely. So what's been neat, um, I don't know if anybody knows, Amazon's going to place an HQ2 somewhere. No one knows about that. But, you know, Do you know where? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> what I do know is our stats have been used for some of the packages for these uh, advancing cities that are still in the hunt. Mm -hmm. And what's neat about that is it's um, the realtors that are having these discussions with the people that put the packages together. So the idea of synergy between you know community folks, the economic development councils, legislators, et cetera. I mean, it's just, it's really a, a level of professionalism that's really cool to see. Yeah, it is cool. And now you just did a presentation uh, here at the convention, Emily. So out of that presentation, what do you think was most interesting to the group? I think, honestly, the idea that they can dig deeper to understand more about behavioral patterns mm -hmm. and that it's easy. Yeah. Uh, things that are intuitive are, are worth taking the time to learn. Um, we're all creatures of habit. We don't, if we're doing business, we're doing it well. We don't want to change what those patterns are. And so I think it was neat for the reaction in the room to say, wait a minute, I can look at all of these stats. I can pull it up in seconds and I can put it into a report. I can take the time to learn that. So that yeah. was kind of cool. And is it, I, I understand the use in, in my market. I'm more urban markets in the southeast, major cities and things. But can it also be used for someone who's doing rural land and out, out in the hinterlands? Yes, it can. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So we love our maps. We love being able to do customization around maps. And some of the coolest data we have in there is related to, to farms. We can know anywhere in the country who owns a farm, what that farm does, what if, you know, if it's a farm that has cows, if they have soybean, that sort of thing, and, and the success of that farm, and how many farm uh, hands that they have, or how many employees they have uh, on that farm, and that sort of thing. So that's really cool. Also, we have um, over 300,000 active listings. A large amount of that is land. Wow. And how are these listings on the site? 
So they come, we don't have a broker agent load, so we partner with MLSs and CIEs across the country. Uh, one of the companies that uh, we have had a great partnership with is Catalyst. So we have uh, a lot of the Catalyst markets in our system, and then a lion's share of the MLSs, and there's a lot of good land coming in that way. Okay, so I have a lot of land listings at my shop, so if I'd like to get them on the site, what's the easy button for that? So you have to go through either a system that's licensed with us, an MLS or a CIE at this time. Okay. So I have to put in one of those systems and Correct. I'm good to go. Absolutely. All right. What would you leave our audience with, Emily, related to what you talked about today? What should we know? Oh, man. Let's put it into one sentence. Don't be afraid of data. Data is your friend and it allows you to know so much more about today's market but into the future and there's easy, quick ways to access it. And here's the shameless plug, RPR. RPR, <laughs> great information. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Good to see you. Check out Valuate, a real estate analysis program that can be easily shared with colleagues online to do what-if analysis. Visit GetValuate.com. That's GetValuate.com. Would you like access to invest in institutional quality commercial real estate with experienced sponsors with small amounts of money? Of course you would. Visit realcrowd.com. Choose between core, core plus, value add, or opportunistic. Visit realcrowd.com. Promote your business to the U.S. commercial real estate industry. Click advertise at the show website, CREshow.com. Hello, Michael Bull here with America's Commercial Real Estate Show. We are in Nashville. We're at Realtors Land Institute Annual Land Conference. And we have Edsel Charles with us. He's with Market Graphics, and he just did a presentation on the economic impact on residential land values. And Edsel, I appreciate you joining us. And I think one of the things that our audience is curious about is how long are these good times going to last? It seems like it's been, it's been great for a long time. It's a little bit hard to predict when you got the current political situation, but uh, are, we are in, uh, predicting uh, that May of 2020, it's awfully accurate, <laughs> we're going to see a modest downturn. Let me go back a little bit on that thought. We um, uh, have a forecast that was made May 14, 2000, that accurately called the downturn last time six years in advance without ever changing the report, called the bottom of the recession accurately to the month nine years in advance. So our stuff is a little bit different. And um, what we're now looking at May of 2020 as a modest downturn, we're thinking that between May of 2020 and the end of the year, we're gonna be up about 5%, and in 2021, 5%. And we're thinking in 2022, that we'll be off 4%, bottoming in the very early first part of uh, 23, off a total of 14%, which is very, very minor and very modest, nothing like the last downturn we had, which was a little bit insane. So we're seeing that it, a very modest downturn. We're actually thinking that in most of the cities we're in, uh, in 20 states, most of the cities we're in, that the bottom of the next recession will be relatively close to today's economy, 
So if you like today's market, you're going to like the bottom of the next recession. <laughs> That's good. And if you're not familiar with market graphics, uh, they check the number of lots and home sales and lot sales and, uh, and really do it in a detailed way to kind of get an idea of the housing market moving forward. And uh, so where are we on lot supply? It seems that uh, when the recession, they said we had lots for, for decades to come and then it, that really low yes. lot supply. Where are we? I was telling the last recession, I was telling bankers and clients, please don't panic and run and sell your stupid lots. <laughs> Just hang out to those things. Yeah. It's absolute insanity to try to do that because we were forecasting right after, just towards the bottom of the last recession, which May of nine, we were saying, please, what you got coming is a lot shortage. That's immense lot shortage. It's a crisis coming. Well, everybody thought we were a little bit nuts. Uh, so uh, where we're at right now, well, let me go back just a little bit more. If you go back a few years ago, I had three people that uh, were a large, one of the largest equity firms in the United States, and uh, without getting to names, uh, three of them, and they were after trying to say, well, how many lots are we going to be short in the next uh, five years? And our research showed that the United States was going to have to develop 4,640,000 lots over that time period over the next Four years. Well, you would think that between then and now that we would have firmed that up and get a, more developers and more money and, 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 and cities be willing to zone, zone better. We've actually gone backwards. Instead of 4,640,000, we're now over 4,900,000 lots that have to be developed between now and the end of 22. Wow. It's absolute insanity. And it's pushed up lot prices. Many cities, like Nashville, for instance, to give you an example here, uh, they're running at about a year and a quarter supply. You need two and a half year supply of lots to have an adequate supply. I don't have anywhere two and a half years. Wow. And so we have a, the question is, where, will we get better? Will it get better in the, into the next go round after the little modest downturn that's coming? And the answer is, I think the most you're gonna see is a flattening of, of uh, land prices. It's not gonna go down. And then it's going to be up all the way into 28 and 29, we believe. I think we got a real problem with a shortage of lots, and it's not going to get better. And I think it's going to force land prices up. It's a real problem. So why, <clears throat> excuse me, why do we not have enough lot supply? Is it because there's less builders? A lot of these smaller residential builders kind of went out in the downturn, or is it the lenders that uh, aren't doing the loans, or is it the underlying land prices? What's the cost? Yes, it's all of that. But, but I think you really could narrow down about three things. A lot of the developers got hurt. I don't believe you have the development capacity. I just don't think so. We don't have enough developers that have stayed to come back that today have the courage to develop as much as they used to. We don't have the development capacity. Second thing is I think that we are surely short of money to pull that off. <clears throat> the lenders are still strained. Got the, the government rules are straining them. And I think the third thing is the big one. You don't have cities willing to zone at a density per acre adequate enough to make the deals work. So you have those three things, not enough capacity, not enough money, and, and then not a willingness of cities to help. Uh, one of the big problems out of that is that I'm convinced that we are a, a lot of discrimination going on by governments against the elderly. Hmm. 
because they raise the size of the lots, they raise more rules, more regulations, and, and it costs you more for the lots, which pushes up the home price, and it's hard for the elderly to move down and buy a new home. Well, you know, it, if they won't give the density, uh, it seems like most, most markets are concerned about affordable housing. Yes. Well, more density is part of the answer, isn't part it? Part of the answer. Yeah. Yeah, and maybe a few. I have some cities, listen to this, you're not going to believe this. I have some cities that want to pick the color to brick on buildings. Mm. Well, how stupid is that? Yeah. I mean, give me a break. So we have way too much of that foolishness that goes on. And, uh, and I've watched, and, and I know this is not what you're asking, but sometimes there's some of our planning commissions now are being infiltrated by the, by the millennials. Mm -hmm. And they, their interest is more bike paths. Well, I appreciate that, but it's hard to live on a bike path. <laughs> so you got to have both. You got to have a balance. You got to have the bike path, but you got to have places to live. Yeah. Got to have lots. Yeah. Anyway. Well, let's talk about interest rates because I think that's on the mind of most people that yes. rates are going to rise. What do you expect moving forward for rates? And then where do we get to a rate problem? Well, here, oh, that's, that's, I'm glad you asked the question. Let me tell you what about that. If you go back all the way to 1971, from 71 all the way to September of 2000, the interest rate of which would shut the housing market or slow the housing market back was eight and eight percent for 30-year mortgages. Mm -hmm. You had to be eight percent or less. But in September of 2000 to September of 2002, that changed in the public's mind. We did a seven-year study to find out what the public would needed to have in order to buy new homes, and we found that it, it, when you got to six and a quarter percent, it would start to shut the housing market down. So you have to be six and an eight percent or less. Well, you say, well, gee, we're at four and three-eighths today, four and a half, four and a quarter, and you're going to shut down at six and a quarter? Oh, great, we got two percentage points. That's not, that's not quite true because the interest rate you see right now is a lie. It's not true. The 30-year mortgage rate is, is make-believe. The way you find out the real 30-year mortgage rate is take the federal funds rate, ten, uh, tre I'm sorry, 10-year treasuries, and add 2.1 to 2.4 to it, and that'll give you the 30 real 30-year rate all the way back for 30, 40 years. Still some foolishness going on in financial markets. What's going to happen now that we've made all these changes? The rate's going to go back up. The real spread is between the real rate, which is about four and seven-eighths to five right today, all the way to that six and a quarter shutdown rate. So we got about one and a quarter percent. I don't think you're going to see us get to six and a quarter to touch that until May of 2020. Okay. And you got that little bump, and it, it'll come down, it's gonna scare everybody to death, and they're gonna to try to stay a little bit underneath that. Well, and that's in part why you're suggesting that's when it's gonna slow down, right, in 2020? I, yeah, I really believe that. Yeah, all right. Well, Edsel, thanks for joining us here and, you're uh, and, and being here and speaking at the yeah. event. That's great, good seeing you. Thank you. America's Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty, Asset and Occupancy Solutions, Arbor Crowd, Invest Alongside Real Estate Experts, Get Valuate, Online Investment Analysis, Real Crowd, Crowdfunding with the Professionals, by Apto, Brokerage Software to Manage Your Contacts, Properties, Listings, and Deals, CommercialAgentSuccess.com, Better Serve Clients, Earn More Commissions. For more information on these great companies, visit CREshow.com. And you're invited to subscribe to the show on YouTube and iTunes and connect with us on your favorite social media.